Obviously, you may have guessed the topic of my lesson today. In fact, tomorrow will be a national holiday called Labor Day. It honors the American workers' productivity and the prosperity that our country has enjoyed because of hard, diligent work done by many people over the years. It is a day in which we take some time to set aside and to uh, not only honor, but to enjoy a time of rest because of it. But you know, that's not what I'm going to speak on this morning. I'm just simply using something that might be on your mind as an opportunity to discuss a topic from the Bible, and that is work, toil, labor. In fact, if you were to go to the Bible and you were just simply to try to look up the word work, labor, toil, to do, you would find not only those synonyms, but you would find numerous passages discussing it. When you come down and you look at them all, they really fall into two different categories. First of all is that of secular work, the kind of work that you and I do each and every day to make a living. The second kind is that of spiritual work, the kind of labor that God expects us to put in because we love him and because we want to go to heaven. And so what we're going to do, we're going to explore those two ideas, that of secular work and that of spiritual And so as we begin and we start talking about secular work, that is also a Bible topic. And I will point out to you that as you start thinking about why people work, there are at least four good reasons why people might work. The first one is financial profit. If I were to ask many of you, why did you go to work this last week? Most of you would say because they paid me to. If they quit paying you, you would quit working because you go for the financial profit that you might get. That's a good, that's a noble, that's an honorable way to earn a living. However, I will remind you that you have to be careful when you do that because some people will be motivated so much by financial profit, they will do things that otherwise they shouldn't do. In 2 Peter 2 and verse 15, the Bible talks about a prophet from the Old Testament, a false prophet. And it says about him, about Balaam, the son of Beor, he loved the wages of unrighteousness. Or you can go to Matthew chapter 26 and verse 15, and all of us remember what Judas did. It says that Judas said, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him 30 pieces of silver. You see, Judas was motivated so much by money that he would even sell our Lord Jesus Christ. You could go to a number of other passages. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9. He said, But those who are minded to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and to many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. You see, you love money too much. But financial profit is a reasonable reason to go to work. 
Other people may do it because of fleshly pride. That is, the job they have provides for them a number of things that stroke their ego. They get the accolades, they get the praise, they get the awards. When you think about people like that, I think about some who maybe, for instance, go into the entertainment industry. Or others who may go into sports because they like the kind of attention that they get in that profession. A third motivation is that of trying to fulfill present needs. I think about people, for instance, who might be like teachers, who might be like nurses, who go because of the personal fulfillment. They don't make a whole lot of money, but they are motivated by a, a love for people and they love to see the opportunity to help someone and see the benefit that comes from that. And I am so thankful that there are people who are motivated by that pleasure in serving. But then there's another one, a faithful priority. The one where you and I do things and we serve others not just because of the pleasure we derive from it, but because we know that if we're good, honest, honorable workers, that that says something about God's people. That we let our light so shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify the Father in heaven. But as you think further... I want you to remember that God works. God labors. God toils. I could spend a lot of time talking about God's work, but for just a few moments, just entertain a few ideas. The creation. If you go to Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11, as Moses is giving the Ten Commandments to them, one of those Ten Commandments was that they remember the Sabbath day. Now, I remind you that the Sabbath day was a part of the Jewish law, not ours. But when you look at the rationale or the justification for it, he says in verse 11, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested the seventh day. You see, the Lord worked for six days providing the needs that man would have in this earth. But all when you go to the book of John, you have John revealing the words of our Lord and John draws great emphasis to the fact that Jesus worked. Listen again to John 4 verse 34. Jesus said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. I'm here to do the Father's work. Go to John 5, verse 17, verse 20, and verse 36. Jesus answered them, My Father has been working until now, and I have been working. We sometimes don't realize the involvement of God in the lives of man. If it were for nothing else, you think about the prayers that God hears from the billions of people that are on the planet and over the generations of time. Verse 20, For the Father loves the Son and shows all things that He Himself does, and He will show Him greater works than these that you may marvel. Verse 36, 
but I have a greater witness than John's. For the very works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. And then the passage that Brother Dale read from John 9 and verse 4. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, for the night is coming when no one can work. And then John 17, 4, as a part of his prayer to the Father, I have glorified you on earth. I have finished the work that you have given me to do. You see, as you look at the life of Jesus, it was one of service and one of work. But someone might say, but isn't work a part of the punishment that God put on us because of the fall of man? Isn't work really a punishment? No, it's not. Work is good. Work is something that God designed from the very beginning. Do you remember when he placed man in the Garden of Eden? Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend it and to keep it. That means that Adam and Eve were given obligations prior to the fall. However, I would remind you that after the fall, it got a whole lot worse. Curses ground for your sake, and toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. In chapter 5, verse 29, talking about Noah, this one will comfort us concerning the work and toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord has cursed. Now, I would love to be able to spend a lot of time, and I even contemplated making this a multiple-part lesson, to talk about what Solomon said in the book of Ecclesiastes and in the book of Proverbs about labor and work. The book of Ecclesiastes has a different thrust than the book of Proverbs. And so for just a few minutes, not we're only going to look at just a few of the passages. Let's think about the book of Ecclesiastes. And if you want to turn with me there, you can turn first of all to chapter 3. As you go to verses 9 through 13, you're going to find out that labor and work is something that God assigned, but God also assigned the benefits that are derived from it. He says, what profit has the worker in that which he labors? I have seen the God-given task with which the sons of men are to be occupied. He has made everything beautiful in its time also. He has put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does from the beginning to end. I know that nothing is better for them than to rejoice and to do good in their lives. And also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all of his labor. It is the gift of God. You know, if you go out and you work real hard and you make money and you want to go out and enjoy that eating, wonderful. That's a privilege that God has given blessing that God has given you. If you go out and you work real hard and you want to buy you a new automobile, great. That's a gift of God. God has allowed the benefit of work to be something that is to be enjoyed. 
But I will tell you that you work hard and you are successful and people will envy you for it. In chapter 4, verse 4, he says, And again, I saw that for all toil and every skillful work of man is envied by his neighbor. You see, you go out and work hard and you buy that new car. There's going to somebody look at you and say, wow, he got a new car. Reckon what he did to get that. He worked hard. He put time in for it. One of the things that Solomon spends a considerable amount of time addressing is the fact that those who are benefited are those sometimes those who do not appreciate it. They didn't work for it. It was handed to them. It was given to them. In chapter 2, he is going to describe a man here. Look at verse 18. He says, Then I hated all my labor in which I had toiled under the sun, that I must leave it to a man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool, yet he will rule over all my labor which I have toiled and which I have shown myself wise under the sun. And then you drop down and he says, Then I turn in my heart and despair to the labor which I had toiled under the sun. For there is a man whose labor is with wisdom and knowledge and skill, yet he must leave his heritage to a man who has not labored for it. You see, he talks about a man who's going to acquire, he's going to work hard all of his life. What's he going to do? He's going to leave it to a person who did not work for it and many times do not appreciate all the effort. I can't tell you how many times I've seen an elderly couple who worked hard, lived frugally. They, they wanted to be able to have something to pass along to their children, grandchildren. And then all of a sudden, when the inheritance is delivered, wow, they just go wild with it. You see, Solomon sees that labor sometimes is not always appreciated. And so his conclusion was, is you better enjoy what you have worked for now while you have it. He describes it in chapter 9 as well as chapter 5. And he says... He has given you under the sun all the days of your life, all the days of your vanity for that which is your portion and in the labor in which you perform under the sun. Whatever your hands finds to do, do it with all your might for there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you are going. He says, you're not going to be able to take it with you. You go back to chapter 5, verses 12 through 16. And again, you could just... Go through this, but he talks about people who are going to leave everything. So you work hard, you enjoy the fruit of your labor, but you realize you're going to leave all of it. But then you go to the book of Proverbs, and Solomon has a different perspective on work there. You might say that the perspective in the book of Ecclesiastes is somewhat cynical. But in Proverbs, it's real practical because Solomon will, first of all, address the topic of laziness. Yeah, that's a real issue. In chapter 18, he who is slothful in work is a brother of him who is a destroyer. 
Chapter 21, 25. The desire of a lazy man kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. In chapter 12, verse 24, the lazy will be put to forced labor. And so in chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, he says, go to the ant. Look at how the ant works. You who are a slugger. Solomon also addresses the value of honest labor. The kind where a person gives a day's service for a day's wage. The kind of honesty that says that if here I am and I own my business, I don't cheat you. That if I give you a pound of meat, you get a pound of meat. He says in chapter 13, verse 11, Wealth gained by dishonesty will be diminished, but he who gathers by labor will increase. Chapter 16 and verse 11, Honest weights and scales are the Lord's. All the backs of the weight are of, in his bag and his, are his work. And then he talks about motivation. What motivates us to want to work? He says, do you see a man who excels in work? He will stand before kings. You will be honored for what you do if you work hard. People will take notice of it. I like the way chapter 16, verse 26 puts it. For the person who labors, labors for himself, for his hungry mouth drives him on. You want to eat? Work. And it will come to you at the motivation of it. When I come to the New Testament, I find the same sort of wisdom in the Apostle Paul. I find Paul talking about work and in fact, there's really no way to explore all of Paul's teachings on work in one lesson as well. But I will tell you that Saul's point is simply this. You either work, you steal, or you beg. In Ephesians 4.28, let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good that he may have something to give to him who has need. Or chapter 4, verse 11 of 1 Thessalonians. That you also aspire to lead a quiet life and to mind your own business. To work with your own hands as we commanded you. And then 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. He says, a man won't work, don't let him eat. In fact, he goes on to talk about people in the church who quit working. He says, you withdraw from those folks. Because they're not serving our Lord. Now I will tell you that when you go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul uses a phrase that he uses in a number of different passages. And that is, he says, I would not be a burden to any of you. I don't want to have to allow you to take care of me. He said, nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but we worked with labor and toil night and day. I don't want to be a burden on you. I don't want to take advantage of you is what Paul says. Now, I think that encompasses most of what the New Testament and really the Bible teaches on secular labor. 
But for just a few minutes, let's explore this idea of spiritual labor. Because it is every bit important. No, it's more important than our secular labor. And Jesus said in John 6 and verse 27, Do not labor for food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life. They said in verse 28 to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. It's important that you and I recognize that as we have secular, physical obligations, we also have spiritual ones as well. It is a service rendered to God. We work with God and we work for God. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 1, we then as workers together with Him. Colossians 1.29, to this end I also labor, striving according to His working, which works in me mightily. And then verses 11 and 12 of Ephesians 4, He Himself gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. You see, God saw that there needed to be a work done and He provided those who would teach and direct that. But I will point out to you also that when it comes to spiritual work, that just like in secular work, there's some people who work hard. They are very careful with what they do. They produce good quality. And there's others who are careless. When Paul wrote 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he said, Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive the reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. And drop down to verse 13, and he starts talking about the kind of work that one produces. Let me ask you a question. Does it matter to you the kind of work that you do in your physical job that you do real well, that it is considered to be done right? What about our spiritual service to God? Is it that dedicated and serving? In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 4, but let each one examine his own work And then he'll have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. You do the work yourself and you serve God. But now I could not leave this discussion without emphasizing one major point. And that is you and I do not merit our salvation. Yes, God expects me to work. But when you and I, if we started from the time we were a very young person serving God and we served till our hair turns white or turns loose and we served diligently, hard work all of our lives spiritually, we still don't deserve salvation. It's a gift from God. I just want to take a few short passages to prove this point to you. In Luke chapter 17, verse 9, there's a very valuable passage there. And Jesus 
illustrates it by saying, here's a man who comes in and one of his servants is before him. He says, when he comes in, does he tell his servant to sit down and serve him? No. He has his servant serve him first. And then he brings up the point by saying, does he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded of him? I think not. So likewise, you, when you have done all those things which you were commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. It is our obligation to serve God, but none of us deserve the salvation which he provides. Galatians 2.16 says that by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. 2 Timothy 1 and verse 9, He says, Not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Titus 3 and verse 5, Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, But according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. All you see is pretty plain, pretty clear. Yes, God wants us to work for him. But God expects us to do so as our service, not because he owes us salvation. Our job's not done. We're not through. You know, it might be easy for some of us to think, you know, I taught a Bible class a few years ago, but I'm I'm done now. I fulfill my obligation. Really? You are done? I think you need to listen to what Jesus, or what Paul said in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12. He said, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, Not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He said that to a congregation. Those who are already Christians. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That means I've got to be committed to keep on working until I'm no longer in this life. I think John 9, 4 again. I must work the works of him who has sent me while it is day for the night is coming when no one can work. There's going to come a time when you can't work. But if you can work, spiritually speaking, you ought to be. In Ecclesiastes 9.10, that last phrase, there's no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you're going. As long as I am in this life, it's my role, it's my obligation to keep working. But you see, what motivates me to serve God and to realize that I'm not yet done is because of the offer that Jesus provides. I know you're very familiar with Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. 
for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. I'm going to end with James chapter 2. James chapter 2, 14 through the end of the chapter, talks about faith and work. And if you look at verse 14, he asks the question, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If I say I believe in God but I don't do anything, can that kind of faith save me? Because it does not trust enough in God to do what he says. Verse 22, you see that faith was working together with his works and by works faith was made perfect, talking about Abraham. God told Abraham what to do and Abraham did it. Verse 24, you see that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. What God is looking for us to do is to believe in him, Hebrews 11 verse 6, Believe in His Son, Jesus Christ, John 8, verse 24. And to be the kind of people that because we believe, that we act upon it. And if you need to become a New Testament Christian this morning, we'd like to encourage you to come forward, express your faith in Christ. Because of that, repent of your sins, confess the sweet name of Christ, and be baptized. Everything's ready for you to be baptized for the remission of your sins. If you are a Christian and you are struggling in your life, feeling like that you have not done what God wanted you to do, there's an opportunity for you now for us to pray for you. This is a great privilege that God has afforded us. If you want to respond, would you come while we stand inside?